I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 308. Y'all, let me just start out by saying that y'all came in clutch explaining to me what the hell people in the business world do. I freaking loved all the responses on the Facebook group. So glad that y'all understood that it really was like a genuine, like, what do y'all do? Not in a, because I know y'all work very hard from home. So it wasn't, it was a truly genuine teach me business world because I can't wrap my brain around it. And y'all have some cool damn jobs. Well, I have shit going on, like nothing, as in like nothing going on, no thing going on. My only goings on is remember whenever I told y'all that Colby and I had to cut a hole in the wall to fix our shower from like the bedroom side? Well, we still haven't fixed it because life's going to life. So I've been on a hunt to try to revamp our bedroom because it's just so dark. And I just want to lighten it up, make it feel more airy, more welcoming, all the things. And so I've been shopping. But y'all know how I was telling y'all about how I have Walmart Plus. So I've been buying mirrors on Walmart Plus and have been getting them very inexpensive. So next step, nightstands. Ooh. Because the nightstands that we have are, like, they were fine for our old bed. But when we got this new bed, it's super tall. And those are very old school nightstands. So Mm -hmm. they're very low. And it just doesn't work. Like, I stretch out half of my damn CPAP hose (laughs) just trying to reach me in the bed, you know? So I'm on the hunt for tall nightstands. But I think I found some at Walmart I'm probably going to do. But I was thinking about maybe asking my mom if she wanted to go shopping this weekend. Because the one I found via Pinterest, I clicked on it, thinking it was $700. I was like, ain't no way, no how. It wouldn't even cost me that much to do the whole damn room. Oh, yeah. It was from Pottery Barn. Yes. I was like, ain't no way, ain't no how I would spend that much. Yeah. Now, I mean, I wish I had the money. If I had the money, I would. Yeah, but But I'm just saying, like, so if you do spend that, don't be thinking that she's coming for y'all because we would all spend the money if we had the money. Oh, right. Because it is really pretty. Right. This is like uh, on a budget, Uh on like a non-existent budget. (laughs) But this weekend, fucking hunting season ends. And I was like, when hunting season is over, we are doing this damn room. You get so aggressive at the end. (laughs) (laughs) And Carrie's better. I'm still sick. But I feel totally better. Well, besides coughing and like... We didn't even tell him I was sick. We just went on with life. I did tell him. And I survived, I think. Oh, okay. Well, this isn't a bonus episode. Well, I'm just saying... People in the Patreon were in the know. Well, while you mention it, let's talk about Patreoners. Thank you so much, Amy M. from Arizona. Corinne T. from Iowa. And Jessica H. from Illinois. And if you want to be in the know like these three mofos, then head on over to patreon.com slash podcast. Oh, and we got our package. So letters will be going out this weekend. Also, if y'all ever thought like we did anything cookie cutter, we don't. And you could tell by my chicken scratch. And also, I'm left-handed, so it smudges all like so many times. And, like I would always be like, "Oops, ha ha ha," you know. Well, just know it's made with love. So this was a question today at the meeting. What right now is one thing that gives you joy? Sleep. Okay. Y'all, I put a new face mask on my CPAP two nights ago. (laughs) (laughs) When I tell y'all that first night, I didn't move. It's the little things in life. (laughs) I mean, yours is honestly better than mine. I said Love Island All-Stars is on. 
and it's on Peacock and love that because no commercials. But also, I said the dog channel in our Slack at work. We have a dog channel where people will post and all the things. And just like, what if they have a cat? I think people do post their cats too there. No, there's a cat post. That's it. I was like, wait, I'm not on there. But no, there's cats, dogs, and maybe other things. I don't know. But I'm in the dog one. And uh, I love seeing all of them because it's like, I relate so well to all of them. It's like, oh, doesn't want to get out of bed, like has the covers on, then like freezing cold, like so they have a sweater on. I'm like, yep, 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 yep. But that's what's given me joy. I was like, yeah, it's a little things. Do you know how selfish I am? I answered that question and didn't even think to ask you what yours was. Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) I just don't think like that. And I want to know your joy, but (laughs) I am just not good at reciprocating in conversations like that. My coworker, Kim, is she's like you. She'll ask, so would you rather blah, 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 or blah, blah, or she'll, you know, just random questions like you do. And I always answer it and forget to ask her, like, what's yours? Yeah. I really suck at that. It's okay. You're inconsiderate. I am. (laughs) Well, you know how some people will be like, hey, how's your day? But like, they really don't want you to answer. Yeah. I am not one of those people. Like, tell me how your day's going. Like, if I ask you, right? Well, now at work, because I've been sick and like, I'm on the phone. And so sometimes like one person couldn't hear me say Donna because it was like stuck in my nose. Yeah. And so I had to spell out my name. And I was like, you know, how's your day or whatever? And they're like, how are you? I'm like, well, I'm getting over a cold. Oh, my God. If I was on the phone with you, I'd be like, Jesus fucking Christ. She's one of those. I don't give a fuck. You're at work. I don't care that you're sick. I know. This one guy said that he wasn't feeling good either or whatever. And by the end of it, I swear, my cold medicine must be just doing something. Because I was like, you know what? Like, insert name. 2024 is going to be our year. It's going to turn around. He was like, heck yeah. As you literally can't even finish laughing. It's holding your nose. (laughs) Y'all, we have a New Mexican restaurant. Oh, my God. (laughs) I tell y'all, that place is so damn good <laughs> Colby and Donna were giving me so much shit because like everybody would be like this place is so good well y'all do know Carrie okay so, <laughs> y'all know but if you've ever been out with her to eat somewhere something's gonna be wrong even if I cook at home even if Colby cooks like there's yes. always something that I don't love about it yeah like one thing it's gonna be like oh and that's just like the that moment not tonight like, literally everything. <laughs> I even ate all my beans. I never eat all the she beans. She was like, even the beans are good. You <laughs> want this, you want that. <laughs> I literally ate all but one bite of beans on my plate. <laughs> I never do that. <laughs> like, there's always rice or beans left or, you know, nope, not tonight. Y'all, it was so good. There was a hair in her cheese. And she ate it. She said it's too good. Hair. I know, but she <laughs> normally would be like, oh, God, that's <laughs> She said, it's too good. She <laughs> just took it out of her plate. You just had to tell him that. Because <laughs> that was so funny. I am so sorry. I don't know what this 80-year-old smoker is right now that's coming oh, out of me. But oh, I'm all like rumbly. Oh, my God. That was funny. I mean, liquid gold, man. She can't say it's good. <laughs> Even the salsa. That like, salsa is really good. Like, I actually ate a whole bowl of my individual bowl salsa. I had to double pour. <laughs> this girl. <sighs> and y'all know y'all are best friends when I get there. And I thought I was hitting her leg. And I was like, is this you? But it's like under the table. But like, obviously, 
y'all all know, like, if you hit something, you're like, tap, tap, tap. Is that you? Yeah. And she looks at me, she's like, what? And I was like, are you in a bad mood? And Colby said, yes. <laughs> I'm ready for her to eat. She's like, I'm not. I'm just, well. And then that food came, and she's had a pep in her step ever since she had that first little bit. Tell me you're fat. <laughs> so now I know. I'm going to be like, oh, you're in the sour patch of your sour patch, kids. Let's go to the Mexican oh, restaurant. Oh, my God. I'm in my sour era. <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we get into these stories, we got to talk about more good things. Beam Dream Powder. Y'all heard me tell Donna what my joy of this week is, and it is sleep. And Beam Dream Powder beams me up to better sleep. Well, we both haven't been feeling good. And you know, they usually say that you want to sleep. Your body needs to sleep. And I will gladly drink a whole cup of Beam Dream Powder. Well, because it's so dang tasty. Sleep has never tasted so good, y'all. Seriously. And whether you're having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, poor sleep, like Donna was saying, has such a negative effect on your life. It can affect your productivity, your mental health, your physical health. And when you're sleeping better, you just feel better all around. So what is Beam's Dream Powder? It is a science-backed healthy hot cocoa for sleep. Did we mention it's yummy? It comes in different flavors. You have chocolate peanut butter. Yes, please. Cinnamon cocoa. Hell yeah. Sea salt caramel. And you know what? It's only 15 calories and zero grams of sugar. So like Donna said, better sleep never tasted so good. And if you've ever struggled with sleep, you know you've tried all the things. But most of the time, they're going to leave you groggy and you kind of feel hungover from sleep. Not with Dream Beam Powder. Beam contains powerful all-natural blend of reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, melatonin, and nano-CBD to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Now, you don't have to get it with the nano-CBD if you don't want CBD. And it's still going to make you sleep better and wake up more refreshed. And it tastes the same, so y'all are good to go. You can mix Beam Dream Powder into hot water or milk and froth your way into a better night's sleep. And today, our listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, their science-backed, healthy hot cocoa for sleep with no sugar added. Also, the numbers don't lie. In a clinical study, 93% of participants reported Dream helped them get better sleep. If you want to try Beam's best-selling Dream Powder, and get up to 40% off for a limited time, go to shopbeam.com slash creep and use code creep at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash creep and use the code creep at checkout for up to 40% off. So my story this week came from a recommendation on our Discord server by Tracy. Now, if you want to be in our Discord server, you got to go join our Patreon. Like we said earlier, you know, patreon.com slash the APC podcast. But we have a Discord server where you can do story suggestions, talk about the episodes, talk about your life, like literally all the things we do, voice chats, we do all kinds of shiz up in there. So I just want to start this episode saying 
that the majority of this information came from alabama.com. It's like al.com. But this article that was super, super helpful is by Ivana Herwinki. Is that a drag name? It should be. <laughs> Love that for you, Ivana. Okay, so picture it. October 5th, 1991, we're going to Decatur, Alabama. It's a small town in Alabama. At 1219, police get a call from a woman. Now, on the phone, they can't really hear much. Basically, just like heavy breathing. They do hear the woman say, cut. And so police quickly go over to the address that she was able to give them. When police get to the house, they find a horrible crime scene. 69-year-old Ludie Mae Tucker was kind of in and out of consciousness, and she had been stabbed multiple times. Oh, my gosh. Now, Ludie Mae was alive when police got there, and she was able to tell police that whoever had attacked her was a black man who was short and stocky, and he had on a white t-shirt that had blood on it, and maybe had on like a plaid shirt over it. But Ludie Mae was not at home by herself. Her cousin, Marie Dutton, had spent the night with her. Unfortunately, after Ludie Mae got to the hospital, she succumbed to her wounds. Now, her cousin, Marie Dutton, had also been stabbed. She had been stabbed once in the side. Her cousin tells police that you know, they had been hanging out. They went to bed around 11 o'clock. And later that night, around midnight, they heard a knock on the door, like a boom, 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 like huge knock, not just like a, hey, anybody home? So Ludie Mae went to the door to see who it was. And when she opened the door, it was someone saying that they had been in a car accident and a fight. They had blood on them and that they needed to call their family for help. So she asks them, like, okay, what's the phone number? And Marie was saying how she could tell from the sound of the voice that they had come inside. But Marie said she knew that something had taken a turn because Ludie Mae said that her husband was sleeping in the back room. But Ludie Mae was not married. So she knew at that point something had taken a turn because, like, why would she have said that? You know, she wants this person to think that there's a man in the house. Marie said that Ludie Mae did have a boyfriend and that they had kind of argued that day. So at first, she thought that it was just the boyfriend coming over, knocking to like maybe continue arguing or what have you. All of a sudden, Ludie Mae started yelling Marie's name. So she actually hid in the bedroom because she knew something bad was going on. Now, the intruder came into the bedroom, stabbed Marie, and then fled. So she goes out into the living room to check on Ludie Mae sees her stabbed, goes to close the door and lock the door just in case the intruder is going to come back. And then when she turns back around, Ludie Mae was trying to like stumble into the kitchen. The cousin says the same thing, that it was like a, a short, chunky guy or, you know, short, stocky. They both said light color or a bluish white shirt. But the problem is, is Marie wasn't wearing her glasses. So she could not clearly see this person's face in order to identify them. Now, police did find some footprints leading like to or away from the house. And they did find that a VCR was stolen because they could tell it was ripped like from the cords and the cords were still there. 
And this VCR was really kind of the linchpin of this case because eventually investigators are told that a man came to this, they call it a shot house. So basically the shot house is a place where you can buy alcohol, get drugs, pay for sex workers, kind of anything you want at this house. And at the shot house, someone had come in to exchange a VCR for crack cocaine. Long story short, police end up honing in on a guy named Anthony Coolbreeze Valentine. Now, a witness had told police that he had been there earlier in the day to buy a rock of crack and then came back later to buy another one and he didn't have any money so he wanted to buy it on credit and they were like uh absolutely not so then he came back later really sweating really agitated seeming and had this vcr under his right arm in order to exchange that barter it for another rock of crack so there were a couple of other witnesses that backed this story up that it was, in fact, Cool Breeze who was the one that had brought the VCR. So stands to reason that Cool Breeze would be the one that did the murdering. They actually got the VCR that was traded for the crack, and Ludie May had taken that VCR in for, like, repairs, so they had all the numbers, and they were able to compare it and prove that it really was her VCR. So they had all of this stuff corroborating that it was, in fact, Cool Breeze, who they're turning in the VCR, was probably, stands to reason, that he was the one that murdered Ludie Mae and hurt her cousin. The only problem is he was tall and kind of thin, and both of the women said it was a short and stocky man that had done the attack. But the cops arrested him. Now, a little while later, there was a reward offered for information. After this happened, all the witnesses changed their statements. Police started hearing about and actually honed in on a guy called Robin Myers, also known as Rocky. So that's what I'm going to call him throughout the rest of the episode. Rocky lived really close to Ludie Mae Tucker's house. And in fact, they knew each other. So... It's kind of weird that police start honing in on him because if Ludie Mae Tucker was able to say a stocky, you know, black man, this is the color shirt he had on, if she was able to kind of describe him and she knew Rocky, why wouldn't she say it was Rocky? Remember, her cousin didn't have her glasses on, so she didn't have any way of knowing who it was. Now, Rocky lived, like I said, pretty close to her. He was married and had four kids. You know, they all lived right there. So police bring Rocky in for questioning. Now, know that he had absolutely no background of, like, any violent history at all. He had this old charge for auto theft because he did have a history of drug addiction. So Rocky Myers was not perfect by any means. But when they went to interview Rocky, he changed his story a lot. But it was almost like the Brendan Dassey of it. Rocky has an intellectual disability. So Rocky grew up in New Jersey with a father that was an alcoholic. There was a lot of abuse in the family. And then he would disappear, it seems like, for extended periods of time. And now I got a lot of that information on the podcast, Undisclosed. 
There's like a four-part series on this case. And then there was another podcast called At Liberty that was also really good about this case. So I highly recommend those deep dives because clearly that's like a four or five part series. There ain't no way I'm fitting it all into this little bit. So like I said, Rocky grew up in New Jersey. Dad was an alcoholic that was abusive, seems like in and out of the family, maybe a little bit more so out. And mom was a single mom to like 10 or 11 kids and even had trouble just getting food on the table. Rocky ended up dropping out of school in the eighth grade because he had such a hard time with school. Like Rocky's quoted in that article I told y'all about saying like, my brain isn't like that. Like he just has trouble. You know, he wants to talk to you on the phone versus write. He has trouble with spelling. And when he was in school, he was diagnosed with, which we don't say this, we don't use this terminology now, but this is what his diagnosis is because it was the terminology back then. But he was diagnosed with mental retardation back in, you know, what, 70s when he was in school. So Rocky was in like separate classes and everything because of his intellectual disability. And again, just had a really hard time with school. So he ended up dropping out and working more labor jobs like factory work, construction, that type of thing. But remember how I told y'all that he had issues with drug addiction So he, his wife, and their kids ended up moving to Alabama to kind of get away from the drug scene that he was in up there to hopefully help him, you know, get clean. Nothing ever says this that I've seen. I don't know that he was clean. It seems like maybe he had been to this shot house a few times, or it could just be because he lived in the neighborhood and they all kind of know each other. I don't know. So I'm definitely saying allegedly, but it's just weird That part, I just don't understand how his name came up. Going back to the murder and really the lack of evidence. There was really no forensic evidence to be found at the crime scene. And certainly no forensic evidence that tied Rocky to this murder. And like I said, it wasn't until the $5,000 reward came up that people started kind of changing their stories. But I also don't know why all of a sudden they would offer this reward if they had already arrested someone. So there's a lot of like, what about this story? Now, remember I told you that they brought Rocky in for questioning and I said kind of the Brendan Dassey of it all. I feel like he didn't really understand what the questions were. And it felt like he was answering the questions the way he thought police wanted him to answer them. Because it seemed like he just wanted to get out of there and... The police were asking him questions about the VCR and framing it almost like, okay, yeah, we don't think you did the murder, but just tell us about the VCR. So he's like, oh, yeah, I I found it like in the street. And they're actually using that to tie him back to the murder. But he thinks, okay, they're not talking to me about this murder. They just want to know about a VCR. Yeah, I found it. You know, where just like with Brennan Dassey, he thought, okay, I'll tell him I did this. Okay, but I've got a quiz this afternoon. So can I go back to school? And it's like, He has no idea what he's admitting to. I know, that's heartbreaking. So one thing I also found interesting in the article from the Alabama.com or AL.com was that it talked about how Rocky had really bad eczema, like to the point where he had difficulty with jobs because his eczema, like his skin was so bad that it like would just flake off and it would cause problems for him. Yeah, And there was none of that at the crime scene. So, you know, people are like, well, if he would have really been at this crime scene Mm -hmm. to have done this, 
his skin would have flaked off. Yeah. And you can't help that. No, absolutely not. So it's like, it's not like, oh, I'm going to just wear a long sleeve shirt. That doesn't matter because that's still friction on it. And those skin cells are still going to come up. Now, the police did find some fingerprints at the house. And they did not match Rocky Myers, nor did they match Cool Breeze. So the police kept Rocky for four hours interviewing him. The entire time, he consistently said that he did not hurt Ludie Mae Tucker and he did not go to her house. What got him tripped up was all the VCR talk. So you remember how I told you that he had the history of the auto theft charge? Well, he was on probation for that. And when they pulled him in, they did do a drug test on him and he failed it. So they were able to pop him for a probation violation. So keep in mind, he's reeling from that, figuring out that he's got this probation violation All of this, they're keeping him in here. They're asking him about a murder. They're asking him about this VCR, all these things. But the police literally have no evidence. But they arrest him for the murder of Ludie Mae Tucker anyway. We are in the early 90s in Alabama. And if you go listen to the Undisclosed episodes, y'all really need to go listen to those. They have an audio clip of Ludie Mae's cousin, basically kind of telling the story. And the whole time she calls the person who attacked him a colored man. And she talks about how she knew from them at the door that they were black. Of course, she calls him a colored man because of his voice and just like all these things. So you could start to hear the hum of the racial tensions in this story from the very beginning. So Rocky goes to trial. The jury is made up of 11 people who are white and one person who is black. Just like you think this is going to go, his counsel was ineffective. Everybody on the witness stand changed their story many, 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 many times. The jurors even later said it was hard to keep the story straight because everybody changed their story so many times. Besides Rocky. Right. And even there was a witness that said that they saw Rocky with the VCR But they actually had a parking stub that showed that that witness wasn't even close to that area at the time. And remember, the fingerprints on the VCR didn't match Rocky. And there was no evidence at the scene of the crime that matched Rocky. There was, like I told you, a partial, well, I didn't say a partial prom print, but there was fingerprints left at the house that did not match Rocky. But remember, like I said, they didn't match Cool Breeze either. But long story short, the jurors ended up finding Rocky guilty. After all is said and done, we actually start to hear from the jurors. And one of the jurors comes out and says, actually, there were a bunch of us, not a bunch. Let's say there were, I'm making these numbers up because I can't remember it. There was four of them that thought he was innocent and the other eight thought he was guilty. Completely made those numbers up because I can't remember. And... The ones that were like, he's guilty, he's guilty, he's guilty, were like not budging at all. And the ones that were like, he's innocent, basically kind of caved. And they were like, okay, we'll go with you on he's guilty, but we have to not, in the sentencing phase, we got to take the death penalty off the table because, you know, we have this doubt. So if he is innocent, let's take the death penalty off the table. Can we agree to that? Cool, cool, cool. That was kind of how shitty that is. I mean, they could have just been a hung jury and done this again. 
But no, they were like, okay, well, we'll vote guilty if you promise not to seek the death penalty. Right. That Like, how shitty. If you think he's innocent, don't vote. He's guilty. Yeah, I don't understand how someone can do that. Like, my stomach hurts just thinking about same, that. Same, same. So that was the plan. Now, when it came to the recommendations, what they ended up doing was recommending life without parole, but it was still nine to three. So I'm like, these three motherfuckers still voted for the death penalty, even though that was y'all's fucking agreement. Oh, God. So Rocky was convicted. And like I said, the jury recommended life without parole. In a turn of events, the judge went against the jury's recommendation and gave Rocky the death penalty. What? Now, since this, like, well, when this happened, there were like four states that still allowed this. But now, this is actually outlawed in every state. So a judge can now no longer override a jury's imposed sentence. Good, because, like, that's why you have them there, too, you know? Because, of course, not all judges, but some judges can be bought or they have their own agenda. Well, and you also have to remember, this was not a jury of Rocky's peers. Right. And there's actually one of the jurors, like, after it, that was, like, talking about the case and calling Rocky the N-word. Oh, my God. So there was a lot of bias with this jury to begin with. This is reminding me of that case up in North Mississippi with Curtis Flowers. Yeah. And... Y'all need to do a deep dive on that if you yeah. have, if you don't know that case. But anyway, so I'm just getting like even more riled up. Girl, just wait. When they outlawed a judge being able to override the jury's sentencing, they didn't make it retroactive. What? What the hell? You do that for anything else? Right. So I think at the time there were like five people, I think they said on, I can't remember which podcast it was. They're all running together now. I think it was either Undisclosed or the other one. I'm not sure. But anyway, that basically there were like a, like a handful of people who were sitting on death row that that would have given them clemency for their, you know, given them life in prison. So any other time they do that kind of shit, like with kids or whatever, it's like, oh, you can't be this and, you know, like 17 and on death row. Okay, well, that person get, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. They do that. Yep. So Rocky gets shipped off to prison and is still there on death row. A lot of people think that he is innocent. And that's kind of where this story really takes off as far as like the press and the, you know, the podcast and all of that. The problem is that the counsel that he had during the trial didn't get to know him, didn't know anything about him. I mean, literally did nothing to help him. That makes me so mad. Like, that is your job. You decided to do this job. And it's literally someone's life hangs in the balance. Like, yeah. if you want to, I literally can't think of a job that you should just fuck up. No, but also, like, if he is innocent, someone else out there is a murderer. That was my next thing, too. Exactly. It's not just about Rocky and his life literally being wasted away sitting on death row if he's innocent. It is the family for Ludie Mae Tucker literally has to relive this over and over and over again because they don't know if who actually killed their family member is behind bars. And every time this comes up in the media or whatever, because people are trying to get Rocky out of prison... They have to relive this and deal with it over and over again. And it's not fucking fair to them or her cousin, Marie, or Ludie Mae Tucker. It's not fucking fair. After 
Rocky went to trial. He had another attorney volunteer to take over his appeals. Great. Wonderful. Let's get some appeals going. Let's file all the things. Because since then, the Supreme Court had ruled that if you have an intellectual disability, you cannot be put to death. It's unconstitutional. Sweet. That should get him off, right? Right. Like, they literally went to New Jersey, found paperwork to show that he was in a separate class because of his, you know, MR at the time, which we know we don't call it that anymore. But at the time, that was his diagnosis. They have actual proof. Well, guess what happened? What? His attorney quit without telling anybody and missed every fucking deadline for his appeals. What the fuck? I feel like that's like a setup too. Like he took the case just Pro to bono. Fuck, like well, and just to fuck him up. I don't even understand. And since then, though, this attorney has like submitted an like in an affidavit that they quit without telling Rocky. So Rocky like got all this paperwork. Now I heard this part on the At Liberty podcast because. Rocky has a new attorney, Casey Keaton, and then an investigator, Sarah Romano. They were on this podcast to talk about it. And they said that basically Rocky got all this paperwork in the prison to say like, hey, this guy quit. Hey, this is what happens. Like you missed all these deadlines, blah, blah. And he couldn't even understand it. Like, oh my God. What someone in the prison had to read it and explain it to him. Oh, that breaks my heart. And I mean, he doesn't get it. Yeah. And the paperwork, like, Sarah talks about how she went to New Jersey to find this paperwork and they found all of this paperwork that literally showed like people from the school went on their day off on Saturday to help them search in like an off-site warehouse of all these school records to help them find it. And they found it and they missed the deadline because of this attorney. Oh, my gosh. Basically, at this point, the only hope for Rocky to ever get off of death row would be for the governor to give him clemency. Clemency. That's such a hard word to say. It is. And apparently it's so hard for him to get. Facts. And I feel like aside from the fact that, well, because his attorneys say there's Brady violations in there too and all this, I don't know that that's going to do any good because you've missed all these deadlines for all these appeals. But I, I feel like they're not even asking at this point for him to be exonerated. They're just like, just get him fucking off death row. Right. Because now at this point, they could call for his execution at any point. Oh my gosh. Now, also since all of this, there have been witnesses that recanted their testimony from the trial. So it's like, not only did people change their stories before, they've since changed them again and been like, oh yeah, you know what? Actually, the police kind of offered me this deal for this. If I testified, and by the way, yeah, then the money and blah, blah, So, like, wow. all these people have recanted their shit again. So, it's like, what is the right answer? I mean, it seems like people really are on Rocky's side and think that, you know, he really didn't understand. You know, his wife took care of everything. She ran the household. She seemed to raise the kids. She handled everything because he wasn't capable of it. So, at the very least, the fact that... He's on death row with an intellectual disability that we have already said is unconstitutional right there. Like, why was that not retroactive? Like, that should have immediately been taken off the table. Yeah. Like, why did he have to file that? Like, why was that not immediately like, oh, 
let's take that off. Right. Yeah. Okay, fine. If you don't want to make the changing of the law as far as the judge being able to overrule it, if you don't want to make that retroactive, fine. That sucks. It's stupid, but fine. But this, this is fucked up because there's clear documentation from a very young age that he has difficulty. Yeah. It's not like all of a sudden, oh, you know what? He's got it. No, this is like clear proof. This is not just a ploy to get him off death row. Like there is clear proof. So whether to me, whether you think that Rocky is guilty or not, the fact that there's clear proof that he has an intellectual disability, immediately he should be taken off death yes. row. And as of now, Rocky is, I think, just kind of keeping his spirits up as much as he can. He's got some grandkids, and I think even great-grandkids at this point. He's been on death row for like 30 years. Wow. And he just seems to be just trying to stay positive and help the people around him. So I didn't know this was the same person until, seriously, y'all, me and Carrie almost had a fight. Where, oh, my God. That's not, very dramatic. Not really. But we're just like, you have done this. And she's like, no, I haven't. I'm like, yes, you have. But then that's when we found out that it was on Sinister Sightings. And I was like, I swear you had to read it because I remember this story. And, well, we know that she's had uh, some issues right now. <laughs> but it worked 300 episodes in, y'all. I'm going to forget which ones I've done. <laughs> also, when we were 20 episodes in. <laughs> but Tracy had messaged me the other day and she said that the journalist that she reached out to about Rocky's case... Like, she is definitely a supporter of him. Yeah. And all of that. And they're really interested in his case and want to sit down with his lawyer to do an interview and stuff like that. So she's just, like, super happy that, like, you know, she's able to help in any certain way. Yeah. And her and her husband have visited him. Oh, and she sent a picture of them with him. I don't know. I, it just breaks my heart. I don't know. I mean, it all seems to point to he didn't do it. But I just, you know, this is one of those cases where the actual case gets lost in the other shit because the other shit went so wrong. And this is the part where our system fucking breaks down. Yeah. Where we lose the fact that someone was murdered, someone was injured, and now we have someone on death row for something they didn't do or even if they did he still like that's my biggest thing too even if he did do it he should not be on death row for two reasons one the jury said no and two he has an intellectual disability yeah period with this i feel like it gets more focused on him because he is the living victim for sure you know and but it's like that's what's so wrong about it is that the victims of this case, of this murder, are overlooked, like you said, because... There's potentially another victim that we yeah. could stop something happening to. Yes. Well, y'all let us know what y'all think. And before we get into Donna's story, we have to talk about Miracle Made. And I don't mean that it's a miracle that Donna and I have made it 308 episodes. <laughs> but the real miracle made we're here to tell y'all about are the best freaking sheets. I'm so excited to go get my bed because my girl came today and she made my bed up. And when I go get in bed, I am getting in some clean miracle made sheets. It don't even matter that they're clean. We'll tell you about that later. But some fresh, crisp Miracle made sheets and it's going to be the best night's sleep. And do you know why? Because Miracle Made's bed sheets are inspired by NASA. So you know that's real smart. 
Yes. So they use silver-infused fabrics, and it makes temperature-regulating bedding. So you sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. So whether you sleep hot, whether you sleep cold, whether you roll around like a roly-poly in your bed, you are going to sleep the best. And remember how I told y'all my sheets are clean, but it doesn't matter? This is why. Okay, your regular sheets, they can have more bacteria on them than a freaking toilet seat. That's disgusting. Disgusting. So what happens with that? You sound like Donna because you stopped up. <laughs> you got acne. You got allergies. You got all the things. And it's gross. But with Miracle Made, they offer a whole line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding. So like pillowcases, sheets, comforters. And they prevent 99% of bacteria. So you have to wash them three times less. Sign me up. Because not only are they the most comfortable sheets ever, but then you do less laundry? Come on. That's a win-win. And now I don't feel so bad about my sheets being washed every two weeks. So stop sleeping on bacteria. Lay on silver-infused sheets that prevent 99.7% of bacterial growth. Stay fresh, stay crisp, stay comfortable, and temperature-regulating. They really are the best. It's like you melt into them, but also you're not hot or anything. Right. So it's just like you're sleeping on like a cloud. And I don't know if this is just like something that I'm making up in my head, but I toss and turn a lot. Like I know that is facts. We've seen your hair. <laughs> but I will say that these sheets just kind of like go with me. I don't wake up having to like pull them yeah. from so far away. It's like, again, I think it's because I'm not getting hot when I'm sleeping. So I'm not like throwing them off. But so I don't wake up ever just freezing or ever just hot. And it is just right. Now, I will say I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. Well, if that's the price you pay. And Miracle is so confident in their product and you are going to love it that it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you're going to get a full refund. And right now, in addition to saving 40% off, you're going to get three free towels. So right now, you got to head on over to trymiracle.com slash creep to try Miracle Sheets today. So whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, you can save over 40%. And if, like I said, you use the promo code creep at checkout, you're going to get three free towels and save an extra 20%. That's a lot of savings. It is. And y'all, Valentine's Day is coming up. You know, like you want to have the best bedding. You want to set the mood. Set it with Miracle Made Sheets. Go to trymiracle.com and use promo code CREEP at checkout and you'll get three free towels and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash CREEP and use promo code CREEP at checkout to treat yourself. All right, so for my story, we're going across the pond. Yes. To London, to be exact. So I'm going to be talking about the Metropolitan Railway first. So it was opened as the first underground railway in 1863, like first in the world. So you know it's got some history, but for us, we're going to focus on the spooky history, of course. Now, there's several ghosts who haunt the London Underground, which it's now known, or they call it the Tube. But originally, it was the Metropolitan Railway. 
The trains carried both passengers and cargo, and it was created to clear out the traffic of the crowded streets. So it, of course, had lots of different stops like Paddington, King's Cross, and Farringdon Road. And at these stops or stations, there's a man known as the Grinning Man, and he's been seen at Channel C Depot. He's dressed all fancy, but the worker was like fixated on his grin. He said it was so white and so big, just it seemed unnatural. Now, another time the Grinning Man, he was spotted when a passenger felt a tug on their shirt. And when they looked, they saw him grinning and then he vanished. Then at Eckenham Station, I hope I'm saying that correct, there is a female spirit who has been spotted standing at the edge of the platform and she always wears a red scarf. She has waved to people before vanishing and this woman is thought to be a person who had fallen and was electrocuted before. There's phantom smells and people will hear the doors opening and closing of the train cars, but they haven't actually moved at all, that kind of thing. And there was an infamous murder that happened at the Covent Garden Underground Station where this well-known Victorian actor, William Terrace, he was stabbed by a fellow actor who was really jealous, and William's last words were, I will be back. Kind of like Arnold, but like proper. I was like, did you see my head turn? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Arnold stole it from him because this was way back in the day. But William's ghost has been spotted and he's seen dressed to the nines, like wearing like they call it an opera cape, gloves and a top hat. Now at Bank Station, there's a spirit that is thought to be Sarah Whitehead or they call her the Bank Nun. Now she's a young lady whose brother had been put to death for forgery because he worked like at the bank, but she couldn't cope with the fact that he was, you know, executed. So she would go to his work every day asking where he was. And like this was over and over and over. So she had some type of mental breakdown with that, you know, and they would sometimes give her money and all of that just trying to help her out. But her ghost is often seen at that station and she'll rush up to people and ask if they've seen her brother and then vanish. Oh, that's so sad. Right? But I'm going to focus on one ghost, really, and it's called the Screaming Specter. Now, it reminds me of a story that Carrie did and I cracked up because I feel like you would really get these names confused and I'm hoping that I don't. But, like, it's worse than Paula and Gertrude, because I honestly don't know how you got those people confused, but that will forever go down in history. But we'll just see if I can keep these people straight. So picture it. West London, 1758. There's two sisters, and they're orphaned, but back then they lived at a workhouse. And basically, when they were old enough, like, when orphans would turn 12, they would work as apprentices, you know? Hmm? 12? Yeah, 12. What's your hmm? Do you mean sex workers? No, I mean child labor. Oh, okay. You're hmm? Oh, I'm sure that happened too. But no, this was a way for the state who would take care of them in these workhouses, like, oh, well, now you go and like you earn a little bit, but then 
everyone got something besides right. the child, really. You know what I mean? Which reminds me of freaking Vanish Like a Fart in the Wind, that movie. Yeah. When they're doing the contracts and all of that, and it's like they're using the prisoners to yep. build the things. And, you know, it's like all of that. And it's just the prisoners are the ones who are suffering with this. And anyway, I don't like it. I do not like that kind of shit because someone's getting used and the other people are the ones who like are abusing the system. Well, okay. So the two girls who were sisters, that's Ann Naylor, who was 13, and Mary, who was eight. And I don't know if it's because Mary was Anne's sister or not, but she went to the same place and even though she was only eight. I was going to say, that's not 12. Right. And it was probably by the time you're 12, like you're fucking going to work. Like you've been working. You've been doing all the things. So where Ann Naylor and her younger sister worked was a millinery, I think. It's a hat making place. Yeah, you got to dumb this down for me. Thank you. Me too. (laughs) Like what? But this was at Hanover Square, and it was ran by Sarah Metyard, who was 40 and a widow, and her daughter, also named Sarah, but went by Sally, who was 19 or 20 at this time. So that's why I said this one would be hard to keep because it's like Sarah, but her daughter's name is Sarah Morgan, but she went by Sally. So it's a lot of who's it, what's it, what? Who's it, what's it's in galore. (laughs) So Anne and Mary worked and lived with five other orphans who worked for the Met Yards. Now, again, picture Paula and Gertrude because of how like terrible they treated people in their care. This was how the Met Yards were, too. The children would be starved or beaten, you know, if they didn't produce enough, if they didn't do something right. You know, if they looked at them sideways, they would hurt these children. But they were upstanding citizens so like no one would bat an eye because they're taking these orphans in and giving them purpose you know that's what people were seeing and no one was the wiser now both sarah and sally had hot tempers and short fuses so you know it was a terrible environment and you know how it usually goes bullies are going to single one person out and really focus a lot of their frustration and hatred on that one person. And I feel like it's always the person that they feel like they see themselves in or they are terrified to become. Mm, that's true. Well, Anne Naylor was that person for the Met Yards. Now, Anne had always been a sickly child and she was more meek. And so she worked a little bit slower And because of that, she wasn't as efficient as the other workers. And day after day, you know, they would beat Anne down physically, verbally, all of the things. And so it was just really hard. But Anne finally saw an opportunity to escape and she took it. However, she didn't get far and she was returned to the Met Yard's care. And that's when it went from bad to worse. Sally was the first to start beating on Anne as punishment. And remember, Sally's the younger daughter. And then when they were finished attacking Anne, they locked her up in the attic and only allowed her to eat bread and water. Like, very little. Not all you can eat Olive Garden breadsticks, you know? Like, it's very small portions, and no one was able to give their rations to her. That's so 
incredibly sad. So Anne was hopeless because, you know, she had that one chance to escape and she couldn't do it. But one day she got her chance to escape again and she took it. I mean, she had to, but she didn't make it far because right when she got out the door, she ran into the neighborhood milkman, Mr. Brown, and Anne had thought, oh my God, I have found salvation. Like someone who knows me will take care of me, you know, and told him like, I can't go back in there. Please take me away with you. She told him that she would be starved. She would be beaten. And he was like, oh my God, you poor dear. Like what has got you so upset? Like, let me get you back inside. You're going to be fine. You know, like have the kids done something to you? What's going on? But they will take good care of you. Now, by the time, like, literally, she stepped out the door, and he must have been fucking putting milk down, and so I was like, oh, they're there. Don't cry over the spilt milk. Sorry, I had to say it. But then Sally and Sarah came out, and they were like, oh, you got her. Kids are, you know, kids will say the darndest thing. Mm -hmm. But when they closed the door, Sally wrapped her hand around Anne's neck and dragged her upstairs, and they both took turns physically attacking Anne. Sally even used a broomstick to beat Anne with. Sarah decided that instead of locking Anne in the attic, she was going to make sure Anne couldn't run. So she tied her to the attic door with a cord, but she also tied her hands behind her back so she had zero chance of any movement, no freedom, and she was just standing there. And she had to stand like that for three days. No, not only could I not stand in one spot like that, But to stand in one spot like that, bound and starving? No. Yeah, because they didn't give her any food or any water this time. Well, but she was already starved just getting bread and water. So she was already behind. Uh Uh-huh. Now, they said that sometimes, like, in those three days, they would untie her at the very, like, right before everyone was going to bed. And she would have to, like, crawl to her bed. To sleep, but then bright and early, they would tie her back to the door. And again, you better believe the Met Yards were using Anne as a cautionary tale to keep the other children in line. Mary, Anne's sister, she got a beating for cutting the string to give Anne some relief one time. So, of course, the children were even scared really to look Anne's way because they were so afraid of what might happen to them. But on the fourth day, one of the children noticed Anne wasn't moving. So they pointed it out and Sally got angry. And she went and took a shoe and hit Anne over the head with the heel of it. Because she was like, oh, she wants to stand still. She wants to act like this. I'll make her move and did that. But still, Anne didn't move. This angered Sally even more. So she brought in the big guns, a.k.a. her mom, Sarah. Sarah hit Anne too trying to rouse her up, and then she told one of the kids, hey, go get me the smelling salt. So they went and got it, and she did it under Anne's nose, but it didn't really rouse her up. And so they were like, okay, y'all go clean downstairs, go back to your chores. She's just playing a joke, like whatevs. So the kids, of course, hurried downstairs, and they put Anne to bed, and they were like, look, don't go up there. She's going to rest, and just don't bother her. And of course, they obeyed. They didn't go by the attic. However, Sarah and Sally had 
taken water and bread up there at different times, like for Ann. But a few days later, one of the children noticed that the attic door was open. And so they were like, "Mm, that shouldn't be there. You know, like what's going on? And then another child saw that the shop's door was also open. And that's when Sally like ran upstairs, looked inside and she was like, Anne has ran away again. What? Like what the fuck? But in truth, Anne's body was hidden in the trunk in the attic this whole time. Okay, I was about to say. Yeah, but they're just perpetuating right. this. Right, like, right, right. Oh, we're going to go up there and nurse on her, you know, like nurse her back to hell. And then she left. And then it was like, well, okay. And I'm like, okay, y'all hunted her down the first time. Second time, like she didn't get anywhere because y'all are right after. Her. But this time you're just going to be like, oh, well, third time's a charm, I guess. But fast forward two months and the smell from the attic was starting to waft down. And people were like, what the fuck is that smell? So one night, they decided to do something with Anne's remains. Now, this is on Christmas night, actually. They crept upstairs, and then they started to dismember her body. Jesus. And you know, if it was already starting to smell, how gruesome and disgusting dismembering her body would have been. Mm-hmm. They actually threw some parts in the fireplace, but the smell was too foul and too strong. So they were like, oh, no, 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 this isn't what we're going to do. So they gathered up the rest of her body parts and they were off to dump them somewhere. And they discarded the rest of Anne's body down the sewer on Chick Lane, which is now known as Farringdon Station. Like that's the same area as one of the stops on the train. But the story doesn't end there. So Anne's body parts were found later that night by a night watchman. But everyone assumed how the body was dismembered and stuff. It was like, oh, this is a cadaver. Like some of the physicians had done this and like, it's fine. Nothing here. Don't worry. Don't wake anyone up. It's fine. A physician would not have discarded a cadaver in that way. Okay, so that's why I'm like, you're literally littering with the human body, though, one. But two, like, inhumane, like, all the things. What year was this again? 17-something. I still feel like even then, I'm trying to remember all my history, and I'm like, is this when they found out that, like, as people started moving to the cities, that, like, the rats and all of that and the sewer in the streets, they started figuring out that that was where people were getting sick. I feel like this is already starting to happen. And they would know to not just dump bodies in the freaking street. Like, I don't feel like that would have happened. Well, it did. But I'm saying, like, yeah. from physicians. But then I'm like, okay, was that actually more Industrial Revolution when that started happening? With, like, literally the streets being overrun with sewage because of the amount of people moving into the cities? Because during, like I said, the Industrial Revolution. So I may be getting my time lines wrong because history major i'm not (laughs) and so it could be plausible but i highly doubt it yeah i just don't feel like oh okay i would have been like what fucking teacher professor doctor whoever this is who would do that just drop it down a fucking sewer like oh my gosh but no harm no foul what else life went on for everyone no one was the wiser because Anne had tried to run off before, you know? And when I thought about that, I just thought about her sister. Like, if she pictured Anne 
living somewhere else and like, okay, when she can, she's going to come back and get me. Yeah. You know, but others say that Mary, the sister, she was killed by the Met Yards too because she did speak up about like, I don't think my sister left. I don't think she would leave me. And like, they couldn't have that going around. Right. And so Mary's body was never found. It wouldn't surprise me. Right. Now, soon after the body parts were found, even though it wasn't reported as a murder or anything, there were some strange happenings going on in the area. People said they saw a ghost and that she was a young girl and she'd often be screaming, hence the screaming specter. Now, no one really knew the origin of this ghost or why Chick Lane was haunted, but it was. So many witnesses told the same stories until this place was like legit thought to be haunted. Well, we're going to fast forward four years. Now, remember, Sarah and Sally, they had those tempers. And living with being so paranoid because the more people saw this spirit around Chick Lane, the more like they could not get away from thinking they're seeing Anne. Like, is that because we discarded her body right here? You know, like, and so they were like, had gotten away with it for four years But living on that what-if moment was a lot. And so at this one point, they got in a really big fight. And there was this man named Richard Rooker. And he had been a tenant, but they had, like, fought so much. He was like, fuck this. I'm going somewhere else. So he actually got a house a little bit further away. And he was like, hey, look, I need someone who's going to do some housework for me. And he offered the job to Sally, the daughter. And so she was like, yeah, you know what? Forget you, mom. I'm going out. I'm doing my own thing. And so, you know, like kiss my ass. But Sarah would often drop by the house and get in big fights, like pick fights with Sally. And Mr. Rooker said that he witnessed Sally being strangled by Sarah, her mom, and had threatened her with a knife. And this one time, like just went so far where he's like, holy fuck. And that's when Sally said something that hinted to the Chick Lane ghost and was like, remember, I know about the Chick Lane ghost and you do too. Like, and so, you know, his ears kind of perked up at that because like he broke up the fight. They're fine. But like, why would they bring up the Chick Lane ghost? Like, what does that have to do with anything? So later he pressed Sally about it and she told him the truth of what had happened. But she framed it like she was made to do all these things. Oh, I'm sure she did. Yeah, you know, like, you see how terrible my mother is. She made me do this. I'm a victim, too. So Mr. Rooker took Sally to the police station and had her turn in her mom. But her mother was like, oh, no, you don't. You're right there with me. And they kind of remind me of the stepmother and daughter from Ever After. Like, they're both just two, like, scheming, conniving evil people and when they get sentenced at the end it's like okay well you do this and they're they're like no you're just a big nobody just since me like we're no one now you know but it's just like even when they're stripped of everything they're still fighting and they're still terrible people that's what that reminded me of at this moment but they're both arrested and found guilty and sentenced to death now some people say that mr rooker And Sally had something going on, Mm. which probably, let's just be honest, but he also thought like, oh, well, she was just a victim, so she'll be fine. 
So turn in your mom because she's evil and she's tearing our lives apart. You know, that right. kind of thing. But little did he know that Sally was just as bad too. But it comes to that point of when is she a culprit or a victim or can she be both? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's so hard. It's been like that with some of your stories too, where it's like, well, they've, you know, been forced to do this, but then she sought Anne out to beat her, to do all the things, you know? So it's like, it wasn't just that Sarah said, okay, now go hit her. Now go do this or, you know, whatever. I don't know. It's like the cycle of abuse. It just keeps going. So even though Sarah didn't make her do those things, like she has instilled that in her. Yeah. But again, like I can feel sorry for her having to go through that. But she ultimately, she did these terrible things and killed this 12-year-old girl. Yeah, ultimately, she's responsible for her own decisions, and she was abusive as well. Yeah, but here's the kicker, okay? okay. So they were executed July 19th, 1768, and they were hanged. And they said, like, in the newspapers and stuff, that, like, the mother, Sarah, she had, like, fits and she like didn't want anything to happen like you know it was like oh my god my life is going to end and like you know all the things which I mean I would be too but it's like you did this you killed someone Mm -hmm. and then you hid like you dismembered her body and threw her away like trash like are you kidding me like I'm not gonna have pity on you yeah but same with the daughter but after they were hanged their bodies were given to science and so they were actually dissected and yeah i just thought that was so like wild though that Anne's remains were thought to be of a cadaver right and now they actually were cadavers yeah but now a century after their execution farringdon station you know it opened and there was this young girl that people would see passengers would see on the platform late at night and more than anything they would hear her screaming constantly screaming and they say even today you can hear her screams echoing as the train passes damn which makes me really sad to think that even if it is just a loop or whatever that any part of her soul her essence is stuck there where she was discarded like that yeah that that just hurts me so much because like bless her heart you know she just no rest But also, I love that Anne ended up, like, getting them in the end, too, because if she really was the girl who haunted Chick Lane, and, like, so many people had talked about it, it made them so paranoid, all of that, like, led up to her finally saying something, because they could have went forever, and no one would have known. But, like, had Anne, this ghost not been so well known at this Mm -hmm. area no one would have said anything well and how you said you felt like maybe the guy and the daughter had something going on Mm -hmm. has to because why else would he say you need to go tattle on your mom because what good is going to come out of that other than like you said her leaving them alone and getting out from under her yeah something weird happened with him too and i should have looked more into this but i think he was murdered like but not at the same time but like Later on, like, so I feel like he was, like, doing something kind of trifling anyway. I don't know. But I was like, he got murdered? Like, there's so much, like, shit going on in this little area. Well, like you said, Anne got the last laugh. 
Definitely the last scream. Almost said that. But it just reminded me so much of Paula and Gertrude. Yeah. Like how they put her up in the attic Mm -hmm. and all of that. And I just feel so bad for Mary, her sister, like having to see that, but even being like so much younger and not even understanding some of it, you know? And then, of course, because they were upstanding citizens, like the milkman was like, Oh my gosh, like are the curls doing something? Like the yes. other orphans, are they doing something because to of you? Of course you're gonna blame it on the kids, like the orphans. Uh-huh. Also, if you are not called up on episodes, like if you started like in the middle or you just started listening, you don't know what the fuck we're talking about with Paula and Gertrude. Gotta go back to episode 40 because I royally fucked up names <laughs> and thought that Paula and Gertrude were the same person. And- <laughs> They weren't. It was father and daughter. It was mother and daughter. And so good times. Um, I had an aha moment of, wait. (laughs) Carrie said, huh. (laughs) But had went like the whole story. (laughs) I don't understand, but they said Paula and Gertrude. But like they keep calling Paula Gertrude for some reason. (laughs) But anyway, so I royally fucked it up, but it's a good, just like I fucked up saying fucked up, but... (laughs) That's episode 40, if you want to go back and listen, because it is a good story. Yeah. Despite me fucking up the name. Yeah. I mean, it's a terrible story. Yes. But it's one that needs to be heard, you know. I feel like how your story, the aftermath, takes up so much of it. But this was more so like the heart, like the crime of the story. And the haunting just like helped perpetuate like the actual... Murder and atrocities that these kids live through, for sure. Well, and, you know, not for nothing, the story of Rocky does highlight the injustices in our judicial system and the problems that people of color face. And Mm -hmm. any minority, any marginalized population, anybody of a lower socioeconomic status that can't afford an attorney and one has been appointed for them and they're this they're just there for a paycheck and it doesn't matter how many cases they take, you know. I thought this was law and order. Your <laughs> <laughs> eyebrows like you like looked up. Like you even said like appointed for them. Like I don't know how you said it. I was like <laughs> just reading y'all your Miranda rights. <laughs> so I went through like several stories where I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do that. Well, no. Cause I figured you usually do like such a heavy story. And but not, it's not intentionally. No, I know. but And not that this wasn't a heavy story, but like sometimes it's like, yeah, oh, fuck, like it will stay with me. And I'm like, God, I wish I would have done something lighter or yeah. where it makes me like this person who's like possessed by a demon. It seems like a fucking like good time compared to your terrible yeah. story, you know? And so I was like, no, I'm going to do a lighthearted one. I'm going to do this. And like, I just could not get into any of them where I just was like, yeah, I want to do this. But it's Funny to not funny, but like it, it's weird how like it's syn- it's like the synchronicity of it though. Like Rocky, how you said like minorities and yeah. all of that, and like what they're treated like, and then with Anne being an orphan and like discarded and all of that. Like I don't know, it's just like yeah, I can see a parallel for sure. No, I get what you're saying. You know what I mean? And so I'm just like, that's weird because like I really went through four different ones, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do no. So I have like four kind of stories going on. Well, meanwhile, I don't know if I go first or last until I get here. So true. Literally, she was like, do you go first? Do I go first? And she loves going first. I do like going first because I like to just like 
sit here and listen to yours and not have to like think about mine. Because when you go first, some, sometimes I'm still thinking about mine of like, okay, is that the order I want to tell it? Do I want to? How do I want to start it? You know, because I'm a winger. <laughs> well, thank y'all so much for listening. Y'all let us know what you think about these stories. Or if you have any information, post it in the group if you know anything about Rocky or whatever. Anyway, thank y'all so much for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review all the things. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.